This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. If anyone hasn't noticed out there, 2020 has brought a lot of challenges to all of us, to our teams, to the way that we deliver products to our customer, our services to our customers. And we at People Centric have definitely noticed how some organizations have really found ways to be pioneers out there on this frontier and figure out new ways of doing things and figure out ways of bringing their teams together. And we've seen some organizations out there that have become more like settlers where they're circling the wagons and waiting till this whole thing passes. Uh, so what we thought we would do for our More Than Work podcast episode for today is bring uh, one of the pioneers that is out there and talk a little bit about how a leader of an organization has helped navigate their organization through this whole crisis, how they've kept their team together, how they've got their products out there. And so I am very excited to introduce Carrie Richardson. Carrie Richardson is the Executive Director of Leadership Springfield here in Leadership, in Leadership Missouri is what I was going to say, but it's actually in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and Carrie is also a former COO at uh, OCH Hospital uh, in the Ozarks here. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Don. Yeah, it's exciting to have you. So I mean, tell us, give us a little bit of an overview of like, what does Leadership Springfield do? Yeah, so we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we run community leadership programs for individuals of all ages and stages. So that looks like programs for high school students, programs for adult professionals. We run programs that span nine or 10 months and then we run programs that are uh, just a two-day workshop type style. Yeah. And our focus at Leadership Springfield is providing leadership development and community engagement opportunities. Um, we believe that when you have leaders in the community who understand more about how the community works and how things are intertwined and intersect and really see how they can make an impact, we can get great things done for the community overall and grow our leadership skills in the process. Yeah, it's an awesome organization. It'll put out over 2,000 alumni into the community. Uh, when you look across the uh, Springfield community and you look at the movers and shakers and the people who, and when I say that, not just the people in the highest positions, but the people who are making things happen, who are innovating, a lot of them uh, have a background with Leadership Springfield to connect. Um, so when you talk about community leadership, you think of community, you think of crowds of people, right? And you think of Lots leadership, of you think of people connecting together in open spaces, so a lot of these products that you talk about are things where you're grabbing crowds of people and putting them into public spaces together. Am, yeah, is that I mean, um, before the pandemic, we were on track to invest 13,000 hours of pulling leaders together in rooms together, <laughs> literally together, gathering all the words that we don't want to hear right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in large spaces, working together, talking to each other, and spreading, unfortunately, germs and things with each other. Uh, so, so Carrie, I want to walk through a little bit. I want to take us back, you know, 20 years ago to March. Uh, you know, it's December now, yeah. <laughs> but it feels like 20 years ago. Um, you know, as the pandemic starts to hit and we start to wonder what's going to happen moving forward, uh, walk us through, like, where was, your, what were, where was your team at? What was your team doing? What were you looking at? What were some of the early conversations? What did that look like? 
Yeah. So, um, we, really respect our local uh, health department. So we have been following any bulletins, press conferences, what was going on there. Um, I was actually on March 13th, I was actually sitting, um, attending your people centric (laughs) management seminar. Um, literally I was sitting there. It was awesome day. And we started getting alerts from the health department that we might have cases and weren't sure what was going to happen. And so I was, I was, I mean, completely unavailable to my team. So I texted them, messaged them. They were watching the news, kind of relaying what was going on to me. Um, And then we tried to get ahead of communication. And so um, all of us were just kind of absorbing information at that point and trying to say, what do we have to communicate today um, for what's going to happen in the next week or two? And what's that going to look like for our team? So really kind of immediately we were thinking, what is this? How is this affecting our programs today? And then how is this affecting our team today? Those two things. And really, um, you know, that's where we were at, um, the next week. So Monday, um, we had a team meeting and we started contingency planning then. Um, okay. So we've, we've sent out our initial communication. We know, um, what we're going to do with our team. We're all going to work remotely. So we pulled that trigger and we did it. Um, we went individually to the office, not together and grabbed whatever we needed just for, you know, kind of that urgent nature. Um, and then we communicated with any programs or anything we had that was upcoming that we needed to shift it virtual. And so after we did that, we had a bit of time. And when I say a bit of time, maybe a week (laughs) to, to try to think through long-term, what does this mean? Um, we had a lot of program participants reaching out to us. Um, you know, we at any given time have four programs running. Um, you know, so we had programs that were that next week, two weeks away, three weeks away, four weeks away, and all the way through, um, June. And so we were really trying to answer questions and respond as rapidly as we could while we made a plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's very, very live, very quick decisions had to be made on what you were going to do, how you were going to get through it. Um, Talk a little bit. And so I'll bet this segment is probably very familiar with a lot of people that were listening. Anybody who was in business like can put themselves back into March and say like, okay, I remember us being in crisis response mode of like, we have to circle the wagons. Let's get everybody together. We're going to over communicate. We're going to meet, you know, meet every day. Okay. Here's the new information that we have, the latest information. What are we going to do here? Making quick decisions. What did that, I mean, and it's hard to remember that because again, that feels like years and years ago, but uh, talk a little bit about like, how did it feel as a team going through that together? Like, how did the team, you feel like the team was together on that? Do you feel like the team was, was distant? Tell me a little bit about how yeah. the team came together. So we're really fortunate. Well, we have, we have a smaller team, so it's a team of four. Um, and then we have some volunteers that help us. And then of course our board. So we have, while our staff team is small, our governing board is 21 people. And so we have kind of different groups to communicate with. Um, but I would say how it felt was rapidly making decisions with very limited information and just waking up the next day and doing it again. And so, um, you know, it didn't feel, I, I think definitely it felt like a crisis, but we weren't frantic. It was just, okay, well, what information do we have? What decisions do we need to make today? And that was okay for a few days, but ultimately we had to make a way longer range plan. And so as soon as we could pull 
our team together and say, okay, I know we're stressed and I know we're, you know, we're trying to manage this current crisis, but we've got to take a step back and rationally look at all the data that we have, which is not a ton and say, okay, we're going to have to make a decision about long-term stuff. And that is really hard when people are personally in kind of frantic panic mode and crisis mode. And also as an organization, um, I tend to be, as just my personality, I tend to be very calm in times of stress. So I feel like that does help. And my team, um, I think feeds off of that. So I wasn't freaking out. It was okay, guys, I know let's, let's set aside the crisis planning for right now. We've dealt with what we have to for today, but we need to talk for 30 minutes and just brainstorm ideas. So it started off like that getting their, their input, um, if they had any insight about their particular programs or areas of their job that would be helpful for me to know as we're making a plan. So it was initially me trying to kind of walk them through this process of let's get feedback, let's take a step back, um, which is really hard to do when personally you're also in crisis. Yeah, yeah. and that's a great point. It's, 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 it's almost easy to forget because we've almost gotten used to it, but you know, uh, we've, we've got kids that weren't going to go back to school for spring break. You're trying to figure out how that's going to work. There's just the internal fear of like, we didn't know much back in March and April about even how that virus spread or how serious it was going to be or what it looked like or anything like that. So people were staying home. And I remember walking down the street and, you know, you're crossing the street when you see somebody else, you know, going for a walk and people would cross the street to avoid each other. Right. You just had no idea like how contagious this was or what was going on with this. Um, so something that's interesting just to bring some context for everybody, is during this time frame, during the March, April, May time frame, which is kind of the time frame that I think Carrie you're describing. Yeah. Nationally, Gallup always tracks engagement levels inside companies. Uh, during that time frame, engagement internally for companies reached an all-time high. Makes sense to me. It really does. Yeah. What? And now, why does that make sense to you? Why does that click? Because I think at least for my experience with my team, we had a very clear common goal and objective. And that was figure out how we're going to survive today and make a plan for the future. So everything else that we had tugging at our time and attention really was on the back burner. And we were all aligned with one purpose and goal. Um, I'm really fortunate that my team keeps our organization's mission at the forefront. And I think ultimately a lot of organizations had that when, when everything that you know about the way you do business is kind of thrown out, you have to, you have to circle back and say, okay, what are we doing as a company? What is our goal? Why, why do we need to, you know, produce X, Y, Z or meet this service? And you really start figuring out how you need to align together. And so it's kind of that, I feel like that crisis mentality that sometimes when you're in a crisis, you're actually really connected to the people you're going through it with. And so um, my experience was that for sure. I love that. And I think that that a lot of people could probably go back and look at that. And I've, I talked to lots of people in April and May who said, yeah, our team actually has come together. Great. Uh, like we're under a lot of stress. So it's, it's interesting. Sometimes leaders like to protect their employees from information because they think I don't want to stress you out or I don't want to have to, to make you afraid of something. Um, but during that time, I mean, there's lots of fear, lots of uncertainty, you know, out there, but then people got together to try to solve the problems working together. And there was an uptick in how people felt about their work. So they don't, they're nervous and stressed about in your general lives, but you feel better about your job. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I was very candid as we were going through a contingency planning process, which I can share 
you know, if you're interested in kind of what we did, but, um, you know, I was very, I listed one of the contingencies as, you know, long-term, we may have to look at cutting hours or staff. And I did list that. And we did have hard conversations about that really kind and productive conversations. And in the end, my team was like, that makes sense. Thank you for putting it on there. Let's talk through what would have to happen for us to get to that point. And then they were like, we don't want to get to that point. So let's make, let's make sure it doesn't, you know? And so that was really encouraging too. I definitely did not feel like I was having to carry all of that on my own shoulders. There was very open communication with our team. Yeah. I think that's a really important moment that you described there, because this is where I saw organizations diverge from each other big time is your organization came together and embarked in a process of contingency planning. And I do want to talk a little bit about like, what does that look like? Because some of some folks out there still need to do some contingency planning or maybe thinking about doing it still, which is great. Um, but some folks got some folks that once the immediate crisis kind of passed and they fell into a new normal, they didn't necessarily confront those issues. They looked at it and they they can they actually did circle the wagons a little bit. Like we've used this settlers versus pioneers kind of a mindset thing. And it's like, okay, the management's going to close the door to the conference room and we're going to count what we have and see how long we can survive in this space. And we're going to isolate people from the outside and not necessarily tell them what's going on to protect themselves. But you you took this opposite approach of saying, let's look at the worst case scenarios right in the eye and figure out what we can do with that. Can you t- talk a little bit about that process that you followed? Yeah. So we went through, well, first let me back up and say, we play the great game of business. So we're a nonprofit. So we're a great game for social sector company. Um, I, if I had to think of one thing that helped us navigate the last year, it would be the great game of business. I do not think we would be in the place we're at right now without that. So huge shout out to great game. Um, but because of that, our team is um, always looking at the numbers, both our program numbers, as well as our financial numbers. And in the great game of business, we really focus on um, the FMOP, financial marketplace operations and people aspects of our business. So I saw other nonprofits and other businesses, um, you know, really stressed about that financial piece, but not as much about the operations of the people. And what we try to do is look at all four areas equally. So what is our immediate response going to be? What is our short-term crisis plan going to be? And what's our long-term contingency plan going to be? And so those kind of three areas, so immediate, short-term, long-term, in the areas of financial marketplace operations and people. And what we did was I had my team work on that together. So they provided input um, relevant to their individual positions. Um, I had them kind of pair up and work together on things. And then we worked on it um, as a team. We had multiple Zoom meetings uh, where we kind of talked through it, uh, who would own those aspects of it. And so when you're doing something like that, you can have those hard discussions of a long-term contingency plan for you know the people side of things could be that we might have to do, you know, um, hourly, you know, hour cuts or, you know complete position eliminations. And so they were able to see, but that's the longest term contingency. That's not the short-term plan. That's not even the short-term contingency. So they were able to see where it fit into the scheme of things. Um, And then we shared that with our board. So as a nonprofit, that was really valuable for me to be able to have that dialogue with our executive committee and our whole board and really talking through, here's where we are. Um, You know, we are as prepared as we can be, but also not prepared because everything's changing every day, but at least we know 
where we stand and we have contingencies we can pull if at any point we get to situations where we need to. And we did, we did. And we've used that even since, I mean, still, we're still looking at that document and using it. Yeah. So I, I think one of the misconceptions about contingency planning is that you think that when you do contingency planning, you're going to decide all the things that you're going to do. Uh, really in contingency planning, what you're doing is you're deciding the things that you might need to do depending on what happens. So Absolutely. it's not the specific actions that happen, but more of the impact that it occurs. So you can look at like different revenue. So if our revenue drops 10%, we're going to kick these contingencies in. If it drops 30%, we're going to kick these contingencies in uh, to protect ourselves. And then you mentioned the great game of business, which I think we should just do a whole episode on ourselves. And, you know, PeopleCentric is partnered with the great game of business and uh, we're, we're a certified coach for that. Um, but the great game of business is originally a business tool that has been applied to the social sector very successfully. And it's this idea of teaching everybody the language of business. So you all understand the financials. Um, a lot of people look at that initially as a budgeting tool. Um, who don't really understand it, but really it's an employee engagement tool. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's getting everybody engaged in the, the numbers and what's key and how do the, what are the key drivers to the business and creating and how they impact those numbers. That's, I mean, that to me is the key. It's not just knowing the numbers, but knowing how their individual positions, actions, everything that they do in the company impacts those numbers. Yes. Which in, in a time of crisis is absolutely huge. For sure. Uh, yeah. So we saw, so I'm going to go back to Gallup for a second. So we, you start to get, you know, we're, we're talking about the, you know, we talked about the March, April, May timeframe. Everybody's doing their initial responses to this. Engagement's going up through the roof. And then what we saw is companies that either they confronted the bad realities in front of them or they didn't. Right. And literally, literally like almost like that, it's almost that simple. Like either we're going to do this, I don't want to look at it. We're just going to keep going and wait to wait this thing out. Or we can aggressively like make plans for what do we do moving forward? Um, you know, when you talk about like, we talk about leadership programs, I know uh, Leadership Springfield is a member of the Association of Leadership Programs, ALP nationally. Uh, you know, you're part of that group. You got to see other leadership programs nationally. What, what did you see from other programs? Yeah, I feel like that was kind of scary. Um, what we saw initially was leadership programs, honestly, just shuddering, saying not that they were closing operations forever, but what I've seen a lot is pause year. They they're taking a pause year. And I mean, I understand that, especially um, leadership programs who have one employee and no other resources. I can see how difficult that would be. Some leadership programs are affiliates of universities or chambers or others, and that um, the funding mechanism there is sometimes difficult if they're not self-sustainable. Um, but what we saw across the country was leadership programs were saying, we can't do this if we can't do it the way we've always done it. So it's either we're going to do it the same way, which mostly the regulations in, in the guidance and the ordinances across the country meant that they could not, they, they couldn't do it or, um, you know, adapt. And so there were some leadership programs that started initially talking about Zoom and virtual programming and how would this work. And um, there were a few, I would say, um, pioneers in the leadership program kind of industry. Uh, Rhode Island is one of them. Rhode Island has a statewide leadership program. It's really strong and they are used to connecting people from across the state because that's what they do and not just a single community. And so they really stepped up and shared some of the tools that they've been using for years and that helped us. Now, not every leadership program felt comfortable with technology enough to do that. 
um, we felt like we could, and we wanted to, and also we felt like we, um, our community and the people who invest in our programs, um, we felt like they deserve to continue to receive the services that, you know, that we provide. And if anything, we saw demand for our programs increase. And so as demand was increasing, we couldn't fathom saying, nope, sorry, we're just going to take a pause year and not do anything. That was completely out of the question for us. I mean, honestly, when we, when we as a team talked about that in very early on, I said, Hey, did you guys see on this ALP you know, um, it's a Facebook, a private Facebook members group. Have you guys seen that, you know, there's many leadership programs that are just taking a pause year. My team was like, there's no way we're not doing that. And so <laughs> I agreed with that, but it was great that my, uh, my team was on board with that. Um, but definitely many leadership programs across the country have not. And actually, unfortunately right now they're having those same conversations because their pause year was intended to be, Oh, we'll just resume in January, 2021 and everything will be fine by then. And now they're frantic because because they cannot go back to what the, in their mind is normal and they've put in no infrastructure to prepare them. And so that's a real challenge for some of them. Yeah. Yeah. So those decisions are made back in, you know, the May, June timeframe. Um, so when you look at what happened with Gallup, it's really, really interesting. Uh, engagement levels have tanked since June. They have tanked. They're in the gutter. They're as low as they've ever been. So the crisis hits, engagement levels are cruising around, you know, around 33% or so, which is about a third of people, which is still is, by the way, is a pretty low number in general. And that's one of the reasons that we do this podcast is to try to increase that number overall. Um, but then they, they spiked and then they tanked since then. Um, what are some, uh, I mean, talk a little bit. So I'm, I'm gonna, here's what we're going to do. I go different directions with that. I want to go back to the, your organization. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that your team innovated. So you, you exposed, I want, to, I want to highlight a couple of things. Is one is you went back to your vision and two is you communicated a lot, right? Yes. You, the, the, the vision was very high front and center of everything you're doing and you're communicating a lot, even the difficult things that needed to be, be, be put out there. So as a result of that, your team innovated and came up with some really cool things. So how do you run these programs that are typically that you typically can't run like in, yeah. in a pandemic? How, how are you doing it? Yeah. So, um, we are doing a hybrid model or fully virtual model, and we can pull the trigger on e either of those and any of those. And so what we, what we do is we follow Springfield has, you know, our community has a, um, road to recovery guide, guidebook guideline ordinance. And so we follow the category that we fit in. We follow that. Um, but what we made the decision is we made the decision to follow the most stringent, um, I would say, uh, restrictions so that if we went up a tier or down a tier in terms of caseloads are high, so we're going to restrict occupancy limits again, that we would be able to continue. So we made that choice just that we were going to make sure we were under 25% occupancy, even though in some months we could do 50% at locations, things like that. So number one, we follow the city ordinance. We work really closely with our community. Many of the city leaders, the health department leaders, our alumni of Leadership Springfield, we appreciate and respect the work that they do. I'm so thankful for them. And so we made sure that we were abiding by, you know, any community regulations, which meant we could not meet in person until those restrictions were lifted. So immediately we provided fully virtual programs. 
And what that looks like for us was Zoom calls. We did a lot of speakers calling in by Zoom. We had speakers on their phones, kind of walking around their locations, things like that. Um, we did a lot of social time for our current participants spring because they had had almost their entire program year in person. And then this happened. And so we were able to continue those connections virtually. Um, and then in May, we were able to, I guess in May, restrictions were lifted a little bit. We still did things virtually. And then in June and July, we were able to um, do very limited in-person, very spaced apart, fully masked, um, you know, sanitized like crazy in very specific venues. But really, um, you know, our programs run through the school year. And so when our programs kind of ended in May and June, we had to really think through how are we launching program year for, you know, where we are now, which started in August and September. And so what we do, um, we made the decision and investment in um, offering virtual tours. So typically, uh, the Leadership Springfield Signature class, for example, a group of 30 to 40 professionals will go through a deep dive of community focus report, blue ribbons and red flags throughout the year. And that looks like an opening retreat, a closing retreat, and seven months in between where they essentially tour the entire community in a bus, um, visiting eight to 10 locations every month. And we knew that that model was not going to work. So um, we got really creative and um, connected with some great partners, um, maintained close contact with all of our normal speakers. And what we decided to do was um, as those groups were planning what they would normally go tour in person, we just made sure that we could film virtual tours. So if they wanted to visit seven places, we would ask to film virtual tours at those places. And so we've contracted with a local videographer um, who's amazing. We go and film the virtual tour and then at the actual actual program day, one day a month, we have, um, we play the virtual tour and then we have a guest speaker either in person or by zoom. That's talking a little more, giving some personal context. So we're not just watching a video. We're really getting that personal interaction, but the virtual tour they're, they're incredible. They're not marketing videos. So we're not looking at, tell us all the wonderful things about your organization. What we're looking at is walk us through your plant, walk us through your business as if we had a group of 30 or 40 people, tell us everything you would normally tell us in a tour. And the cool thing is we're able to get into spaces that we could never take a group of 30 people. And so what we've seen, actually our virtual tours are getting more of a behind the scenes look than anything we could take a group to. So we are seeing some opportunities there. Um, and so every month we determine based on cases and our community, as well as um, the current uh, level that we're at in terms of ordinance, we look at um, whether we can meet in person or whether we need to meet virtually. And so we have been meeting in person. And what we do is we don't meet in a room less than um, that will accommodate less than 300 people. So we are at almost 10% occupancy of the room. Again, our currently we could be at 50% occupancy, but we're choosing less than that. Um, we have fully masked um, you know, mass requirements. Um, we serve food differently. So no, you know, communal sharing of anything. Food has to be served to you or boxed. Um, just so many aspects of running any sort of event have to be changed. Um, and we have a lot of speakers call in through zoom who either are sick or you know, aren't comfortable coming in person. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're doing a lot of, uh, I would say that's a solid hybrid model. We have our classes convening in person in a very, um, very strict safety guy, you know, kind of environment. 
and then we deliver much of the content itself virtually. So that takes a lot of technology um, and a lot of coordination, but we are seeing um, really just as just as strong survey results and feedback as as ever before. So people are desperate for for community right now, and so inspired, I think, to dig in in a time where everyone feels very isolated. So our program, our programs are really going great. That's amazing. So, uh, you know, I want to look a little bit past all the what's because that's some fantastic innovation. Uh, and some people might be listening to that and going, that's also a lot of work. Like it's a lot of work already to put on those programs. You've had to literally like redesign how you did all of those things. Like the organization's designed to put on the program that you've done in previous years. For with 35 years. For 35 <laughs> years with some tweaks to it. Like there was work to be done to reinvent everything. Like, like, re, yeah. like go back to everything. But talk a little bit. I mean, first of all, interacting with you and your team, you do not fit the national average of engagement. I think your team has be has been more engaged, uh, even as the year's gone on. Like, I think people are just on fire about yeah. what's happening is how I would describe that even through all this. So I, I want to give that context, but um, describe, I mean, when you talk about, like you said, the programs have been successful, how much of that has been the continuation, continual focus on the mission at the end of the day? And how much has that relied on the communication that you continue to have throughout this process? You know, that's a great question. And I, I don't think I could pick one or the other. So my personal philosophy is that if we lose sight of our mission, then why are we here? Right? So we have to keep that at the forefront. And when we started contingency planning and really looking at how are we going to run programs for the long term, because we knew this was a, a, going to be a long term thing, um, we really said, you know what, we're not going to sacrifice quality. So if we cannot do something at a high level of quality, we have to pause. We have to figure out what we're going to do. And so we had that in direct conflict with, we're not going to pause. Right. And so that really spurred us on to say, how can we not that it's an insurmountable problem. Like there has to be a way that we can deliver what we do in a quality way, um, and focus on our mission. And so I would say, I mean, focus on the mission is important, but like you said, it takes a lot of work. And so, um, we were, we had to do a lot of communicating. I mean, we had to make sure that the people who are participating in our programs understood the severity or the seriousness of which we were taking these precautions. So we, we, every single month that we meet in person, we say we are able to meet in person because you are helping us follow these guidelines. And if we do not follow these guidelines, we cannot meet in person. So your ability to wear masks all day and distance, even when it's hard and, you know, take all the other precautions that we're doing, we appreciate that. And we want, we want to keep doing that. And so we kind of refocus them to that. Um, we did a lot of communication up front making sure that people were comfortable participating in a program that maybe they had applied for and, and expecting a totally different format and we were going to deliver it, you know, differently. And so, I mean, to be frank, I essentially sent out communication to all of our program participants who had, you know, been accepted into our classes saying, we want you to know what to expect. We want you to not be surprised, but we're committed that this is going to be an awesome year and we want you to be a part of it. And here's what we're going to do but you need to know it's going to look a little different and we want you to be bought into that. And so it was communicating, but also building excitement about the mission at the same time. Yeah. I love that you did that internally and externally. Like it's, it's always going back to that. Why are we doing this? Because if it's, if, if you focus too much on the what's, and there is a heck of a lot of what's to focus on there. Um, but if you, if you keep putting it into context to the why, 
then you, you fundamentally get to get the leverage, you get people plugged into what's going on. And I think you've done an excellent job of getting the participants, your customers also involved in the process. I will say, I mean, back to your comment about, or your question or statement or whatever it was about staff, you know, I, I would say, I think burnout and just emotion, the emotional and mental toll of the pandemic in general has to account for some of that disengagement, um, you know, that Gallup saw, and I'm sure you can share more of that research, but I mean, our team definitely felt that, but my strategy was keeping them rallied towards the mission and pointing out wins no matter what. So we did some things, um, really in May, which is interesting. So maybe inadvertently we did it and I didn't know that's what brought us through, you know, that dip that other people saw, but in May, when I just noticed, man, we were all weary and we felt like we were almost out of the woods. And then it was really like, you know what, this is going to be a long thing. Like this is not going to be over in, you know, August, we've got to prepare for the long marathon of this. We started a win wall on teams where we just, um, digitally, we just shared wins and we encouraged each other to share as many tiny wins as we possibly could as much as possible. And that really helped because when you feel like you're constantly fighting, constantly reinventing, constantly changing, constantly pivoting, it's really hard to recognize that things are successful sometimes. So I think things like that helped. And then, um, uh, our team did take some time off. So individual people took small breaks as they could. Um, and I really encouraged that. And my, my board was supportive of me doing that as well in pockets of time where we could. And sometimes that didn't work. You know, we didn't have time to do that, but whenever we could, we tried to do that. And I think that helped a lot too. Yeah. That, that, those are great points. Cause it's not just about the, all the things that you're doing, but also acknowledging the personal struggles that everybody is also going through uh, and, and celebrating some of those wins. So I, I think this has been fantastic, Carrie. Uh, you know, I applaud you and the, your organization, uh, for truly being a leader. I know it's leadership Springfield, so you would expect <laughs> that, but I mean, for, for truly being a leader and showing like what can happen during a very, very difficult time with a team, it's an opportunity for a team to come together. Um, you know, some of the takeaways that I had from this and Carrie, feel free to add to any of these is, you know, is, is really that focus back on the, why are we doing things at mission, uh, continuously going back to it. Um, the communication piece is huge. You know, we saw a lot of companies who over communicated up until June, and then they've got into like a routine almost again and stopped communicating. Um, you know, it turns out that a lot of research shows that, you know, focus on mission and communication are both very good for culture and engagement. Uh, so when you do more of that, it increases engagement. When you do less of it, it decreases engagement. And some of us got out of the deliberate habits of communicating things. Um, things like the game that you talk about cre creates a constant cadence of communication. You're, every week, your team gets together to talk about where you're at right. and where you're headed and, and what's impact on the financials and what's going on with the programs and everything. So, I mean, it's, it's that constant communication piece. And I loved this idea, too, of, of giving people some space and celebrating uh, some of the wins. I think sometimes in business and, you know, and I'm, I'm using that term broadly here, I know it's a nonprofit, but any kind of an organization, sometimes we get so focused on the professional side of things, we forget the personal side of things. And I talked to an employment attorney one time who said that he thought that he could eliminate 99% of the cases that he's had of employees suing employers, if employers would just treat their people more like humans. Uh, mm -hmm. if they just cared for their people and said, Hey, I know you're struggling with some things and not that you have to solve all of their problems because you can't solve these problems, but just give, give some space and share some wins and celebrate together and communicate. I think that's, 
uh, I think that's a great takeaway. Yeah. The only thing that I would add, I guess, maybe two things. Um, I think that we were able to see in these in this massive navigation of, you know, the last year, we were able to see opportunities where quite frankly, we had never stopped to look. And so by having to go back through and analyze every single thing about the way that we do business, we were able to improve things that will always be improved now. And we probably wouldn't have stopped because it's been working fine. It's been working great for 35 years, but when you have to pause and you have to say, okay, well, we can't do it the way we've always done it. So how are we going to do it? Wait, why do we do it that way? Right. You can really improve what you're doing. We found opportunities, our virtual tours that we were, we've been able to invest in, and it is an investment. You know, we're not paying for transportation. We don't have buses this year, but we're spending more than that on way more than that on technology. And that's okay. But that technology isn't just benefiting one program. It's benefiting all of our programs. And we're going to be able to build a fully virtual program forever, which means for accessibility for individuals who don't want to travel once we can again, we have the ability to offer something that we probably would not have spent the time or energy to make a priority this year for sure. And so I'm, I'm very glad that we saw those opportunities. And I think the pandemic, if anything, has shown us that there are always opportunities, even in the crisis. And you have to be calm and you have to really think through all those steps and use your team because many of those things I wouldn't have come up with on my own, but I'm stronger and our organization's stronger because our, our team did, you know, pulled together. And then, um, the only other thing I would say is I think it's, um, it's very interesting if you think through, you know, understanding that you have to treat your employees as, you know, humans. I think if there's ever a time, I don't know that there ever has been a time before where our personal and professional lives are so intertwined and I can't just care for the professional aspects of my people. Like our, we're dealing with virtual learning. We're dealing with school. We're dealing with so many aspects of how we normally do our lives that we have to consider that everyone is coming to every day with either stress or burden, or, you know, they're navigating their life differently. And so I think, um, recognizing that and giving your employees space to do that helps them feel more engaged overall. Yep. I think those are great tips and great insights for people. It's not, you don't have to solve all the problems. You have a team around you, but acknowledging those problems and working on it together brings a team really close together and helps. It gives you an opportunity to build trust. And I love the idea of, you know, you, uh, we've often said like, you wouldn't have chosen this crisis, but since it's happened, let's not waste it. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the disruption does create its own opportunities as well. Yes. Uh, I think, um, pausing is not the answer. I think pressing forward and, and, um, innovating, you learn so much about yourself and what your organization's capable of as well. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us here on our More Than Work podcast. You've been excellent. Uh, I appreciate your leadership in our community and uh, just appreciate your friendship as well. So thanks, thanks for Don. joining us. We are big fans of Carrie Richardson and we hope that you are too after this conversation. She has so much great insight and I hope you've learned a lot about how to engage groups during this time. If you aren't already, please follow us 
on social media at PeopleCentric Consulting Group on Facebook. You can also find us on our website at PeopleCentric.com. And if you have questions or ideas for new show episodes, please shoot us an email at morethanworkspodcast at PeopleCCG.com. Links to all of those places are in our show notes. We are so excited to hear from our listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.